weekend where Red Bull scored their fourth 1-2 of the season and where Ferrari scored their third podium of the season. I'm recording the Forecast F1 podcast together with Samantha. Sam, I feel like you're already part of the Forecast F1 furniture. I definitely am part of the Forecast F1 furniture at this point. <laughs> so Sam's recording in Montreal. I'm recording in Santiago in the Dominican Republic. And as a guest, we have from Santiago de Chile, we have David Herrera. And welcome to the Forecast F1 podcast. And it's awesome to have you here. How are you doing? And how was your race weekend? Hey, guys. I'm really happy to be here. Almost like a dream come true for me and to be part of a show. And yeah, it was a kind of a fun weekend, how it almost everything came out at the end. But it wasn't really particularly exciting with the conditions and all that. But yeah. I'm really happy to be here. I hope we can we can dissect all of the race weekend together. Awesome. And we're very happy to have you here. And what I would also say is for everyone that's listening, don't forget to follow us on all the major platform podcasts you can find us and also rate us on Spotify. All right. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here and dissecting the race with you too. So, Sam, why don't you talk a little bit about the track like you do each podcast episode? All right, let's get into it. So uh, this track, Spa, is the longest track of the season, um, over seven kilometers long. It also has, interestingly enough, two DRS zones, but they are short DRS zones. Now there's also 19 turns. And uh, I would say that this weekend, in terms of attendance, there was over 380,000 people there. That's a lot of people. How many people did we have at the Silverstone in the Canadian weekends? Ooh, putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> my, my immediate memory doesn't serve me well right now. Uh, but I think it might have been 480. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm also not uh, 100% sure. In, on the Silverstone? in Silverstone was like half a million people. Right. Yeah, so that's close. And in Canada, I believe we were 360. But again, my numbers could be off. But I know that in Canada, it broke the week. It broke the record attendance for that weekend. I think in um, in Spa also the infrastructure doesn't support to have many more people than the 380,000 that we had this weekend. True. With the new infrastructure that they had to build after 2021, I guess it it can support less people now or it hasn't been that large any time. Amount of people that can go, I mean. Right. All right, so we had this weekend a sprint weekend format, which meant that we started on the Friday with qualifying for the race, and then we had a standalone sprint day on Saturday. But let's talk a little bit about that qualifying on the Friday. Um, we had, um, well, as we were talking about last podcast episode, we were expecting some rain for Spa, and um, rain was delivered. And um, what did you, uh, what did you guys note during the? first qualifying session of this weekend, David. So um, in Friday quality, I mean, things became really exciting at first, <laughs> like the changing conditions, whatever that the factors that could have been through the whole weekend, um, they really show on Friday. For me, obviously, the, the, the obvious, the obvious Paul man, of course, it was going to be Max, even even with the with the five places penalty, you know, we we knew he was going to take first place. I mean, I never doubt about it. It was it, it is a track that he can 
he manages so well and i mean i'm it's so obvious what i'm going to say but it's it's a red bull track <laughs> the different places in the track the different sectors like sector one two and three are really different and of course red bull is one outperform everyone in in spa yeah no you're right it's definitely a red bull track and um i think um uh the rain did sort of create a couple of different circumstances like you were saying so um for example nor slipped off in the in the first part of q1 where he sort of hampered himself for the rest of the qualifying session i think he was even very lucky to to make it into q2 and make it into q3 as well and um we saw well we saw danny rick almost making it to q2 but he had his lap time deleted which was very unfortunate for him um so we had everyone drive on intermediates during Q1, and I think the the question we all had was uh, at what point we would have the crossover point uh, to to put on slicks. Um, I think Bottas was the first one with about seven and a half minutes left during Q2, and after that everyone switched, and um, and we had uh, well we had a couple of other slip ups, not just Norris. I think uh, Ocon turned into the wall, um, <laughs> and. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was quite exciting, especially because of the weather conditions. I think if it would have been a dry track, it would have been a lot less um, things that would have happened. Um, and yeah, even if Red Bull were the better car, we saw that um, um, Verstappen almost didn't make it out of Q2. Um, he had a bit of a discussion with his um, race engineer as well, yeah. and, and actually Piastri was was stopping that. Uh, <clears throat> Piastri was stopping that session in Q2. So even if it was a Red Bull track, the rain definitely made it, um, or or I guess the reason Verstappen had a, a tough time making it into Q3 was just a run plan that wasn't timed uh, to perfection this time. Yeah, you could, uh, it was always, it was interesting hearing the dialogue go back and forth between his uh, race engineer, GP, and himself. So, it it obviously at the end of the day it worked out for him he managed to secure pull well temporary pull uh but he just narrowly missed he just narrowly snaked himself into q3 if anything he the discussion between he and G, him and gp it made everything more exciting at the end of q2 the ending rounds of q2 the the final minute of q2 was really exciting to know who was going to stay on top yeah, definitely. Uh, one one thing that surprised me actually was the Williams, because I thought that this would have been, you know, uh, top speeds quite important around here. So I, I was thinking actually the Williams would be um, performing quite well, but they sort of disappointed during Q1. Although I guess that had to do a lot with uh, with there being quite a lot of water on the track. And I suppose that their straight line speed isn't just as good or doesn't doesn't make the difference uh with this type of weather i think that that what could be happening to williams is that other cars are, are other cars i'm sorry are growing around them so they don't stand out so much yeah that's true and actually um uh, it was quite um i don't know if they were also unlucky with the run plans because yeah because of the weather conditions it was quite there was a lot of um people uh hindering each other into their flying laps and 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 every time at the end of the session there was a lot of cars lining up and it was 
I don't know in what session that was. I don't even really recall whether it was on the Friday or the Saturday where we saw also Perez having a lot of trouble. Yeah, I was um, thinking to, uh, that's... That was a Saturday, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was thinking that in the exactly same moment, Perez almost had like five different moments right there with five different cars. That was amazing by him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the end, in Q3, we saw that uh, Verstappen did make the difference, though, because like you were saying, he had a five-grid penalty, so uh, he took a new gearbox. So for that reason, he didn't start on pole during the race, but he actually did out-qualify Leclerc by, by over eight uh, tenths of a second. So the difference was quite large over there, but um, I was already quite um, happy to see that there was a Ferrari splitting the two Red Bulls um, yeah. by Leclerc just uh, setting a quicker time than Perez. And that was that was quite, uh, well, that, that was relatively exciting, I would say. We also saw a, uh, going back to the impeding, uh, Magnussen actually faced a three-place grid penalty for impeding Leclerc. So he he definitely received a drop on the grid as a result of that. But we also saw Hamilton uh, do fairly well as well, and he he managed to snake into uh, well he 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 got third at the end in terms of Q three. Yep, I think uh, Hamilton had a good day on the Friday. He uh, didn't have such a good third session of qualifying on the Saturday. So why don't we move into that Saturday and talk about the qualifying there, which actually had a similar weather pattern, I would say, where it started out uh, on intermediates and where we went into slicks also during the second part of the qualifying session. So um, so on the Saturday, we had, a, we had a bit of a delay going into qualifying or qualifying shootout or shootout or I don't know what we call it exactly, but um, it started about an hour late. And um, yeah, like I said, everyone started on intermediates and um it was um yeah it was it, it was similar in circumstances but uh, i guess the the team that uh, hadn't really uh, gotten the circumstances right was uh, was haas where they uh, i think both haases didn't even set or at least hokenberg didn't even set a single time uh, during that first session not going out uh, on time to make it into his flying lap before the clock ran down that was a bit silly looking wasn't it yeah, they. It looked like Magnussen managed to uh, get a get a lap time in, but Hulk unfortunately ran out of time. And I think that ultimately it was a it was a disappointing execution on Haas's end. It seemed like their priority at the time was they were concerned about the tire temperature. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, when the clock is winding down, the at that stage, I would say that your priority is more so just making sure that you're getting a lap in. Yeah, true. He, um, he he went out on several laps, but then each time before actually setting a lap time, he went back into the pits and that continued for quite a lot of times. Um, we saw a couple of other things that were uh, quite interesting with, uh, for example, Perez and Gasly going into their flying laps right next to one another. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought that was quite... Uh, quite <laughs> did, you see the, did you see that, David? Yeah, in, in such a long track, you wouldn't expect that, that that much traffic, right? But the the conditions made it also tricky for everyone. Um, at the end of, yeah, I get sprint quality, shootout quality, I don't know how to say it. And at the end of the second session of shootout quality, when a stroll got mediums too early and crashed, 
uh, got the red flag out. It affected a lot of the guys because that because that tells you the story of the whole quality for this weekend. You know, the conditions set the tone for everyone to to plan the lap in the exact moment where the rain or where the conditions could allow them to. This weekend, in general, one of one of the main um, one of the one of the most important things about this weekend when it came to positioning was was the tires and the end when was it the right time to switch you know when was it the right time to pit and you're absolutely right during the sprint shootout that was that was a huge contributing factor for alonzo for alban for sergeant they were unable to continue after that decision uh where aston martin decided to put stroll on mediums and clearly it was too early he didn't have the grip and causing the red flag so that was that was one of the first examples of how changing your tire strategy affected the rest of uh, a considerable amount of the grid. I'm sorry, I don't wanna I don't wanna throw I don't wanna throw Lance under the bus, but that's on the driver. The driver that's on the track, he decides when is the right moment, because in such a long track, the the rain is not the same in every part of it. So it was on the driver in this case in this case Lance. I'm sorry. Um, to make the call and switch at the right moment, and I, I know we know it wasn't the right moment. No, it's true, and I think that uh, especially because it was an SQ2. You know, if this exact same situation would have happened in SQ3, and he would have tried to go out there just to set a quick time in order to to have a high starting grip, but the only thing he actually had to do was manage to make it into SQ3. I mean, it was still SQ. Too, so it didn't it wouldn't have been his final starting position it was a bit of risk taking especially also knowing that um, because i guess we all found out afterwards that because of the fia not declaring the session wet uh, they only were allowed to drive on medium tires because of the the setup of, of having to drive mediums in sq2 and softs on sq1 um, but yeah knowing that um, i think with medium tires the risk was just a little bit too too high and um, yeah, he did. He did hamper a lot of people, um, uh, making it uh, to a last run. You actually mentioned Sergeant there, uh, Sam. He also spent uh, just uh, a little bit before Stroll went out on those tires. He actually didn't um, cause a red flag. But um, and 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 there, the Williams actually did a lot better than they did on the Friday because on SQ1 they both made it out with very good times. I think Album was even P4. And Sargent was P9 during that first session, so that looked a lot more promising. But in the end, uh, yeah, in the end, uh, they all uh, didn't make it out of uh, SQ2. They did not. A lot of those, a lot of those guys could have gone higher. I mean, Richardo would would could have gone to SQ3 if he had another run. True. He was even. Well, you're right that he could have made it out, but then also because of Albon, Sargent, Stroll, and Alonso not setting times, and he did. He actually started P11 during this sprint, which wasn't a bad starting position after all, being in an Alpha Tauri. It was a good weekend overall for Alpha Tauri. Yeah, it was. Uh, they also had a good Sunday with Tsunoda for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, well, I guess. Uh, well, let's just order things a little <laughs> bit bit by bit because there's there's so many sessions to talk about yeah, during, this, yeah. uh, during this weekend. So, well, just to round it off on the on the sprint shootout, um, 
on SQ3, we had uh, Verstappen again topping the session. Uh, in SQ3, everyone started out on softs. Uh, we had a, a track that was dry enough to um, to drive on uh, on slick tires, and and nobody actually really made any mistakes. Nobody really slipped. Um, well, I wouldn't actually say that nobody made any mistakes because what we saw between the two uh, Mercedes cars over there was uh, at the end of the session. That was a bit of a yeah. that was a bit of a mix-up. How do we feel about that? Yeah, in SQ3 we had the two Mercedes coming together. That that's really crazy. That's that's happening more often. That it was in Spain before. Yes, I think it 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 it, it might have been Spain indeed. Yeah. Yeah, and I think. I don't know. I I don't want to be <laughs> like to, the one to say this, but is Russell getting a little bit desperate with this with this result he's getting? I mean, he's not performing on races right now, and I mean, on the last two races he hadn't done so well, and in quali, all around, he he didn't manage to 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 surpass Hamilton. I think that part of what the issue was was uh, well, what they what they chalked it up to was poor communication. Um, I I don't know. I think that the situation last weekend with Russell was uh, a, I think there was a variety of reasonings as to why that didn't go so well for him being put out late in terms of a team strategic decision for qualifying. But I think this weekend I, it was a close call. I think it's too early to say when it comes to Russell because I also think that this during the race he had some really shining moments uh, in terms of some really smart overtakes. So the jury's still out, I think. Yeah, but uh, it wasn't a very clever move because he locked up into the first corner and then he he should have known that he wasn't going to set a, a competitive time. So um, uh, yeah, I think he should have left Hamilton free space to to set this flying lap. Um, and and that was I, I don't know it, it didn't look very clever um, and not really like a, a, a team playing uh, decision let's just say just for clarification I didn't mean with respect to uh, this specific occurrence that happened I just mean in general overall over the last few weekends but yeah as for this specific um, moment I completely agree with you I think that it wasn't a wise decision on his point on his part. I'm I'm very leaning towards saying that he's kind of getting, I don't know, maybe frustrated with the results because he's always been a team player, as as Anton said. You know, I think Russell is one of the. Uh, he's not hot-headed when it comes to racing. He's really overall really smart, in in my consideration, of course, and also a team player. But seeing this bad decision that he's making lately and that they're affecting the team like all around the team not affecting other teams or other drivers affecting the team i think that's a re really bad look for him but also i think that the team has a plenty of confidence in him and he's not running any risk by making these decisions but showing that that he's young He's still young and has a lot of character to develop still. Yeah, I guess perhaps he was also just a bit frustrated doing so well in a rainy spa in 2021. 
where he sat the second time on qualifying and now struggling a lot more. I mean, he was struggling through SQ1, he was struggling in SQ2. Um, so perhaps he was just, yeah, he, it was an off day for him, which is a little bit surprising for, for, for Russell because he likes the track and he's, he's usually not bad in, uh, in rainy conditions. Um, who, who did make use of, um, of the conditions was Piastri, I think, because um, setting a P2 time with only, I think, 11 thousandths of a second uh, slower than Verstappen, that is quite a, quite a result. For uh, for a McLaren, even though the McLarens have been doing well, um, it uh, yeah, I, you could see his frustration. While actually, I think what he's being complimented with a lot is for how calm he is on the radio, uh, usually during races and 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 qualifying sessions. But uh, you could hear his frustration. Well, all we could hear was a beep, but I guess there was a lot of frustration of just not making that pull. I think that attributes as well to, like you said, like his calm, but also his focus and his determination. He's not satisfied, clearly, with finishing in the in a result that, for most rookies, for at least I would imagine any rookie, it's it would be uh, an incredible accomplishment because it is the highest position he's put himself in for this season, but to come out of that and instead just be focused and determined on still trying to secure pole, it's the mentality that we've seen time and time again this year that really, I believe, is the mentality of a world champion. It's just that constant drive to get to, that it's it's not good enough until you get to exactly where you want to be, and that is as a world champion. So I find it really fascinating that that, is, that, that was his immediate response. Oh, for me, did you did you see the the onboard video of that lap that from from Piastri's? I mean, I would be frustrated because that was an awesome lap, like the perfect the perfect lap in those conditions. So yeah, I I agree with Sam totally. He has like the character to be a a world champion. He has the talent and he's shown for his he's 22, I guess. I think that he recently turned 22 and he's really a mature pilot for his age. With not so much experience than I mean Lando is 23 and has lots of more experience in F1, but Piastri has shown a great maturity. I think that for me he's the rookie of the year at this point. Uh, so far, he, he, he definitely is. And um, yeah, in comparison to Lando, you just mentioned that he outqualified Lando both on the Friday and on the Saturday. So uh, yeah, I think that's definitely proving his um, his value for the team and, and how good he is as a driver and as a rookie. It's, it's yeah, I think it's uh, he's performing amazingly well up until this point. And even when the McLaren wasn't as good in the beginning of the season, he was al- already putting in some good performances. And you know, uh, he performed uh, in Melbourne, which was his home race. He got points there. I suppose a little bit of extra pressure on your home race as well. So all in all, uh, I think he's doing a he's doing an awesome job thus far. And um, well, there's still half more season to come, and 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 to see uh, how we can how we can do there. And and compared to Lando, because for Lando, I suppose is going to be. Um, yeah, he's gonna. You know, he's not had uh, Daniel put in too much pressure on him uh, in the last two years, especially not in the last year. So, 
um, going to be interesting to see how Lando responds to that as well. But um, I think it's it's a good moment to um, move on to the second part of the Saturday, which was the sprint race, which was also delayed, not because of the weather initially, but mostly because the uh, sprint shootout and the sprint have a minimum time between one another that um, uh, that is that is set as a minimum time. So because of the shootout being delayed, the sprint was delayed as well, where actually we had um, pretty decent weather for quite a while, just up until the start. And then uh, while the teams were still on the on the grid, uh, it started pouring down like a well, like like <laughs> we'd seen before that weekend already. So um, that meant that um, the start was delayed and we started behind the safety car. We had about five laps behind the safety car, which meant that we only had 11 laps of racing. The initial sprint race, I think, was planned to be 14 laps in Spa because of the track being quite long. So, um, yeah, right after that, we started, um, well, when the safety car went in, basically every team had uh, one driver pitting from wet because they were... Um, they were not allowed to start on any other tire than the wet tire. So the wet tire, I guess, during those five laps cleared the track of, of uh, sufficiently of the amount of water that was there. So 10 drivers pitted for intermediates, of which Piastri was one of them. And the other 10 drivers, uh, so one driver each team, decided to do it only the lap after. So we basically had the grid being mixed up quite a bit uh, on, on, on lap three, which actually lap three was already the lap where Alonso decided to, to take a, a double spin and, um, and we had a safety car. So it was actually quite an eventful start of the sprint. Um, it was a, a sprint like we haven't seen in a while. Uh, what do you guys, uh, what do you guys, uh, how did you watch that? David, you can go first if you'd like. Okay, thanks. So, um, sprint that obviously the conditions made it amazing. So many drivers criticize the decision of starting behind the safety car and they guess and they, they actually said that it would be better to wait 10 to 15 minutes and then launch the race. But if anything, it made it the short race really, really, really exciting. I mean, when when everyone stopped, when everyone started saying in the radio in the last safety car lap that it was uh, conditions for medium, uh, we know we we would have an exciting race. Just um, Alonso made it even shorter with the double spin that you mentioned before. He did. I think it was also what what was what was really exciting to see was the pressure that it put on the pit stops in uh, during that time and also uh, the strategy that ended up being so paramount in terms of the timing of when it was chaos going into the pits but also it was an opportunity for some teams to really capitalize upon teams uh, drivers like Gasly, Piastri obviously had a moment where he was able to capitalize and, and lead the sprint for a brief period of time. Uh, but it was it was a strategical decision that each of these teams had to be put in place and the pressure was not just on the drivers, but now was was more monumental on the timing and those pit stops themselves and the release. Uh, we saw signs really unfortunately uh, take a drop as a result of that as well, because he was stuck in the pit lane uh, for a brief period of time before he actually could get out. 
because of how busy it was. And that resulted in him dropping, I believe he went to P13. Yeah, he did drop quite a few places. It, it really became a battle of tire strategy in the beginning of that sprint. And I mean, really, like you said, Anton, there was only 11 laps. So it was crucial. It was crazy that no one crashed in the pit lane when the, those in those two first lap races, when everyone was cha was changing, and the strategy I'm sorry, and the strategy became the most important part, as you say. After all, yeah, it's true because uh, there was quite a lot of releases there in the pit lane that didn't look a hundred percent like how they should be. Yeah. I guess in the end, those weren't penalized. Probably partly because of yeah because of the chaos and you know in the end there weren't really any touches so I guess that's why they let it go but um, yeah it was a bit of a well the only one who got a penalty actually was uh, was Sergeant because he had uh, he was speeding in the pit lane but um, yeah um, funny to see those unsafe release not even being investigated I I thought they would have at least been investigated and then if you let them all go that's one thing but. It was as if they didn't even look at it, or perhaps I just missed that message. It's also a possibility, but um, I didn't see anything come up on the screen. What I did see come up on the screen was the investigation of the incident um, between Paris and Hamilton. And uh, I think that <laughs> that caused a lot of discussion afterwards, um, or perhaps already during the race. Um, I think, uh, well, before I shed any light on it myself, would you, would you, Sam, how did you, um, how did you evaluate that situation, that racing situation? It was, in my personal opinion, I think it was a racing incident. I was a little surprised by the five second penalty. Um, and the reason why is because I, I thought that they were actually battling quite well, uh, going through the first turn. And then obvi obviously after that, it got a little bit more, uh, dicey. But to me, it was a racing incident. Now, at the end of the day, it cost Perez the rest of the sprint. He had a damaged side pod, and you could see that that really factored into his race. He ended up not finishing. Um, but that was my opinion. What about you, David? What did you think? No, for, for me, it's always exciting when Hamilton and Perez tangle on the track. You know, they are... They are awesome drivers and with equal, almost equal machinery right there, man. It's, it's always exciting when they, when they clash, I mean, when they come together, they, they came together and, and as you said, Sam, I think it's a racing incident too. Tim LH must have been going off the roof because I didn't see much of, of, of a penalty of, of something that should be penalized there. Just a racing incident. As you, as the, uh, I'm sorry, as you said it. Well, for all the discussion of it being afterwards, it's funny how the three of us agree on it because I, I see it the same way. And I, I thought it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was very harsh. And uh, yeah, it was unfortunate for Paris not to make the end of the race because of it. But, um, but yeah, just the incident itself, I mean, not looking at the, the outcome, um, because yeah, we're not supposed to be looking at the outcome, you know, I mean, it could have been, you know, with the same touch, it could have been uh, Hamilton getting a puncture and not making the end of the race. So we shouldn't be looking at what the outcome is. We should just look at the incident itself 
and it was it was extremely minor. So I was also very surprised to see that being investigated and and uh, deemed a five second penalty. Where at the same time we had unsafe releases that in other races would have definitely been five second penalties. So again, I, I I'm a little bit frustrated by seeing the FIA not being very consistent in the decision making. Not so much in a single race, but more so between different races. And I think, um, well, we've been calling for it uh, more often, but um, I would like to see a more equal line because I think it also um, would cause less discussion afterwards. But um, but yeah, um, I guess, um, well, it is what it is. Hard to change it now. And then it meant that uh, Russell, um, I think, um, still overtook... Um, did, did, did Russell overtook Hamilton on the timing sheet in the in the sprint in the end because of it? Where did Hamilton finish? I think he finished P and finished in P7? seventh. Yeah. yeah, so he was seventh, and then and then Russell was eighth, right? Because Russell overtook uh, Ricardo, who was briefly P eight during that sprint race, and I, I guess there was a lot of people already on the edge of their seat wanting to see Ricardo score a point, but I think even Ocon overtook him uh, in his last lap, so yeah, that was that was unfortunate for the Alfa Tauri. So going back to the penalty itself between Russell and Perez, what I would say is, is that one thing is, is that it's an interesting observation that you make, Anton, the fact that the unsafe releases, which, I mean, there were quite a few that could have been questionable that not one was looked at. And yet we look at something where on track, in my opinion, uh, both drivers are fully racing, which it's it just flat out racing and, and a penalty is given. It questions it, the instability and uh, in terms of the decisions that they make when penalties are handled handed out. I mean, many of us agree with that over this year. I'm sure Ocon would agree as well. But I think that it also becomes frustrating. Frustrating is a good word that you use. But another reason why it becomes frustrating is is because is that five seconds can really differentiate your race. And if you are trying to truly race and and make it exciting or it becomes exciting, it's what we all want to see. I mean, how are how are you supposed to be able to battle it out when the risk of possibly getting an infraction like that could separate your team from earning points, could separate you from being on a podium? It it becomes a lot more frustrating as a viewer because that is what we want to see. I, I want to see them flat out. I want to see them battling. And there are going to be times in these vehicles where they're going to touch, especially on a track like Spa and especially during a period where we already know that the track wasn't dry uh there you have external conditions that also weigh and and play a part as well so it's it's a questionable decision it was a questionable penalty we can all agree and i and i do find it interesting yes that all of us all three of us believe the same thing that it was a racing incident and it's a good point that you're making there actually that the five second penalty in a sprint race where we're doing only well this time only a fourth of the the track length that we usually do during a race it has a much larger effect uh, than it has during the so i think that's also something that we should be evaluating is that what well, you know something that that is a five second penalty in the race should it be a five second penalty in a sprint i don't i'm not i'm not 100 sure whether it should be yes or not but um 
but yeah, good point you're making, and um, I think um, I think we can well. Uh, I was going to say we we can leave the sprint race with that, but um, I guess we can't leave it by saying again that um, yeah that Max basically dominated it, um, even having Piastri there for a brief moment of of time as the leader of the race. Um, but I I would like to say again, <clears throat> but I would like to say again that Piastri getting a p2 position and i don't know if we call that a podium regarding sprint races that's something that i'm still not sure about but um it's 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 his career highest finishing in in f1 and uh i think uh yeah uh we we have to applaud that uh accomplishment because it was a it was a really good race from his side very confident he doesn't seem to budge under the stress under the pressure and um and 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 also uh seeing Gasly being on that podium that was not really a podium then again but um i think that was also a, a very good result for well i don't know if we're considering the alpine being the the sixth or the yeah i, I think they're the sixth fastest car at this point then finishing p3 in a sprint race is quite a quite an accomplishment as well um especially surrounding all the news around Alpine this weekend, where we see half of their uh, garage leaving. Um, uh, can we touch on that briefly? Yeah. Uh, well, we we know the team principal Otmar and also the sporting director uh, Alan Permain uh, were both removed after the end of this race after Spa. Uh, I don't believe we have an idea as to who the permanent replacement is going to be at this point in time. Do we? Well, they're going to have the, uh, the 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 vice president, or what is it? Uh, he's going to temporarily step in, I think, and um, be an interim uh, team principal. But other than that, I don't think there's a permanent plan yet. I think I've heard certain rumors. Uh, I've heard the name of Binotto going around, but uh, I guess rumors are still rumors. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've heard the same as well. But we could never be certain until we actually see it confirmed. Uh, but it it's it's rewarding i think for gasly i am glad that you mentioned it because i do think that him finishing in p3 for alpine i, I think overall their weekend uh both drivers gasly and ocon even going into the race which we'll touch on later i think they had a, a very decent uh overall result in consideration of the track record over this season so far and also the recent dramatics that have taken place and there is I don't know what the future holds for Alpine. I, I mentioned this in the last podcast that going into the summer break, I, I felt like maybe there was going to be shifts. Did I expect it to happen right before Spa? No. Uh, but at the same time, there's uh, moving forward the team as a whole. I think there's there's several question marks in terms of the stability of that team uh, from a variety different aspects, whether it is within the garage, whether it is behind it management. Uh, who knows? I hope that they're able to figure it out. But right now, I don't know if they're going to. Either way, as for Gasly, incredible result for the sprint. And also, considering on a personal level, his attachment to the track and the fact that uh, he had a very close friend pass away. And we know that he pays his respects annually at the track uh, prior to that race weekend. W one thing I will mention is, is that he had put a little note on the track. Uh, in memory of Antoine and the uh, his friend who had passed away, 
And in that note, it stated, I'll prove them wrong. So I, I just found it uh, important to mention that he, he, admit, he had put that and he comes out and manages in the sprint shootout to finish in P3. Uh, so a touching moment and uh, you could clearly hear that through the radio. And I think that overall it was maybe hopefully a boost that Alpine needed. Well, I guess it was definitely a boost and definitely something they needed. <laughs> yeah, it, I think it was a rewarding weekend for Alpine, given everything that's been going around them this this whole last week. It's never a good timing when someone loses his job, but the manager of the team losing his job right before the race weekend that that's really that's a really not a really good look for for Alpine. I mean, I hope that, as Sam said, this is a turning point for the better for them because I think that Gasly and Ocon deserves, deserve much more than the sixth fastest car on track, as Anton put it. Uh, definitely. It's, uh, it's, it's looking a little bit um, chaotic at the, at the moment there. And... Um... Yeah, um, well, that, like Sam was saying, that's exactly the kind of time when you need to have a good result come in. Although I, I have my doubts. Although, yeah, let's be honest, they they didn't have a bad race either. Um, and and let's talk a little bit about the race uh, going into that. So um, so yeah, we had a uh, start of the race where uh, the field was quite divided. There were people on soft tires. There were people on medium tires. No hard tires, and um, and well, um, guys, what do we? Um, what were your uh, observations during the first parts of the race? Yeah, for me, it was the start of the race. Um, it was really exciting. I mean, the Sainz and Piastri's incident made it made it a lot more exciting. Um, um, after after Saturday, after the results Piastri had on Saturday, I was really hoping to see what what he could do today. I think that he could have come really close to a podium, if not in the podium. I don't know if anyone could have challenged Max today. Anyways, starting from from P6 is is like nothing to him. <laughs> so I I really think that Piastri could have challenged for a podium today. Uh, I expected change, changing conditions, like at least in the first part of the race, but we didn't get that. And well, for me personally, my favorite part was Sonoda taking that P10. He held P6 for a really long time before Gasly, even before Gasly made his only stop. Gasly made only one stop today, right? Gasly only changed uh, his softs to mediums. You're right. He only he. I think he might have been the only driver that made only a, a single stop. Well, well, also Sainz only made a single stop. But that that's a bit of a different case. Let's actually go back to that case because you mentioned them getting together in the in the first corner. But uh, what were your thoughts on on that? Was that whose fault was that? And uh, was that should it have been investigated or was it actually investigated? Uh, what 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 do you think about that, David? Well, I I'm gonna go ahead and say it i think it's science who's at fault in this in this occasion because i mean he he locked through to the inside of the corner to the yeah to the inside of turn one he locked to the inside of turn one 
And just like Piastri said it on the radio, it's like he didn't see him. He he didn't see him at all and just put his car right there, finishing both both of them races. I mean, both of them came out really, really bad. And of course, Piastri had to leave first, but Sainz didn't have a competitive car. That 5%, that 15% idle balance, I think that, that was mentioned to the radio. I don't think, I don't believe, I don't, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't remember if it was five, five or 15% of aero balance loss in that car, but that really made it uncompetitive. I would, I would have taken him out of the race earlier yeah. for saving the engine and all the parts. Yeah, I, I was expecting that too, but perhaps they were waiting for rain to come and see if it would, uh, you know, if one way or the other, they could make a extremely good strategical call, which is, not something you'd expect from Ferrari, but in the yeah. end that didn't happen. And after the, the rain passed, uh, they did retire the car. And getting back to the one pit stop thing, I, I, I was wrong there because uh, both Russell and Stroll also made only a single uh, a pit stop. They both started on mediums and they went to softs. And um, talking about, because they had pretty long stints on those tires where you actually saw at the beginning of the race that tire deck was, was very, very high, much higher, I think, than um, because you saw a lot of cars already coming in after five, six, seven laps. So um, we, we saw beforehand that the tire window for the uh, softs was about 14 laps. So I was actually surprised seeing so many cars come in after, after fewer than 10 laps. Um, one of them being Norris because he came in very early uh, changing his mediums to, to hearts then didn't do a long stint on the hearts either and then after his 17th lap he switched to softs and he completed the race on those softs so he did an extremely long stint on the softs like like 27 laps or so while only doing about 5 and, and only about... 11 on the hard so that was very very confusing uh, to see how the different tires uh, actually reacted to 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 this track and and to the conditions i guess the conditions changed a little bit here and there we saw a little bit we saw some splatters of rain which i guess well, at least for me i was getting excited and hoping that it would get to intermediate tire conditions but i yeah sam you're already laughing cause you, <laughs> you knew i was hoping that right yeah of course of course i i I saw the that uh, the radar when they had panned to it, and I thought to myself, uh, how I I just I knew that you were probably sitting there hoping for some sort of rain to fall. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of rain then. In the end, uh, nobody. No. Uh, uh, I was I was actually <laughs> with not a lot of rain there. I was also thinking that some of the teams might try to and preempt that situation, already put intermediates on, and then never really getting to intermediate. Uh, uh, tire situation messing up their race, but that also didn't happen. So, yeah, I, I guess. Uh, well, we 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 could have seen um, a little bit more chaos than we actually actually saw. But still, I think um, it was a very interesting race regarding different tire strategies. As we just said, we'd seen uh, some teams having only a single pit stop we saw teams most teams doing a two stopper we also saw both williams doing a three stopper uh, as well as hamilton actually but that was not a strategic that was because of uh, going for the fastest lap which he actually did end up um, end up getting uh, i think max was biting his um well not sure his nails 
uh, or what he was biting. But um, yeah, <laughs> I think he was also uh, very much aiming for that for that uh, fastest lap point, which uh, which Hamilton took away from him by uh, yeah creating a gap uh, between himself and Alonso. Uh, having easily enough time, I think he had about 26 seconds or so uh, for for his pit stop and and coming out and still in front of Alonso and taking that fastest lap. So um, it'll be interesting to see later on uh, how many people actually uh, predicted Hamilton uh, to get that fastest lap. I think going back to just the tire strategy you had touched on a McLaren, I just I I wanted to um, go over that a little bit because I I felt that strategically they really capitalized on that moment and it could have gone either way depending on how the rain was going to pan out like you said it it really did not amount to a lot uh, which became their advantage in that decision because they they were the first ones to put Norris onto softs when the rain started to fall and it really became it, it really gave him the ability to find pace in the car. And like you mentioned, Anton, he was struggling uh, through a very good portion of that race. And we, we kind of knew that going in because of the rear wing adjustment they had made. Uh, they had already said that they were going to have difficulty on the straights. Did I personally think they were going to have that much difficulty as he, as he had through the beginning of the race? No. Uh, however, I would say that it was an... It was uh, it was definitely a much better result than we probably anticipated in the beginning, just simply because of the fact, I think, of switching him to softs during the time that they did. He was able to really get the upper hand, uh, almost uh, undercutting other drivers in a sense by doing it as early as he did. And then further to that, being able to have the tires warm, seek the pace that he needed. And he, he made some some pretty uh, well-timed overtakes as well to get himself to P7, I think, at the end result. Yeah, no, he definitely he definitely did. Um, it, it, he had the, a really two-split race where, like you said, uh, not so good in the beginning, dropping a lot of places, but then actually ending up doing quite all right. And um, yeah, especially with the other McLaren being out, um from the after the first lap i think uh he um yeah he at least uh, redeemed some points for mclaren which was uh, which was good to see and um you already touched on it uh david with uh, Tsunoda taking a p10 and pay, taking a, a single point it even looked at uh, a certain time that he might uh, finish even higher um so um yeah i think uh, that was a very good result for alpha tauri and that must do a lot of good for to know that self-confidence yeah i mean that that that's great for to know that finally finishing in the points and not having something out of his control to take him away from there um just to i think that it's worth to mention also just to round up what you were saying before lando had a great recovery like even with the wrong strategy, the car shouldn't. I I think that the car wasn't ready for and set up and set up for for the hard tire. So Lando had a great recovery. So kudos for him. That's amazing. But personally, for me, my driver of the day, of course, is is Yuki. He made he made a great drive. He kept P6 for a long time. He. He he had a, a great strategy also, and showed that that it's not only the car out there. You know, he's a great driver. I really consider him a really good driver, a fast driver. 
And it's also worth mentioning that P11 for Pierre wasn't so much of a price for him. I think that personally, yeah, Pierre deserved it a lot more this weekend because all, all that was mentioned before about Antoine Hubert and all that, but because he, he had a great weekend all around, he, he drove amazingly. But Yuki just, I'm, I'm seeing here that Yuki just kept like less than three seconds from from Pierre. So yeah, I mean it was a great a great weekend for for both of them for Yuki in the Alpha and Pierre in the Alpine. Maybe for me it's more exciting to see Yuki finally in the points, as I said it. But I think that Pierre um, um, deserve to to be at least on the points today. I think uh, you also focus on those two a little bit because if, if I'm not wrong, you're an Alpha Tauri fan in general, are you not? So I guess them being a driver pairing of Alpha Tauri for quite a long while, that's 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 one of the reasons why you look uh, why you look specifically at them. Can you talk a little bit about about that, about uh, you being a fan of Alpha Tauri and about how you got into touch with F1? I think it's a it's a good segue into that. So uh, yeah, let us know. I mean, I I I really like. I I started watching F1 when I was really young with my with my grandpa, like '96 '97, first Schumacher years in in Ferrari. So yeah, that that got my attention as a little kid. As Sam mentioned something before the show about about coming coming. It's hard to come around people that that enjoys F1 and that watches F1 and I, I really didn't have like people to share that love and and the way that that I was trying to follow in all the races and all that and, and no one really close I, I mean no one close to me was was such a fan of it so it it got away from me from a few years and I I started watching again in 2020 like like really closely watching again in 2020 I, I always kept my eye on f1 like up until 2012 then after michael retired and all that i stopped watching like a lot of f1 but it came back to me in, in 2020 in the covid season of course and i really like pierre and and dan in the alpha tower i i think that's one of the a great season for a for a mid of the for a mid table team, you know. When Pierre won in it was 2020, right? When Pierre won in in Italy in Monza against Carlos. Yeah, I mean that that drive was amazing from him. I really respect him as a driver. I I really didn't like him going away from from Alpha. And next year in 2021. When Yuki came, I I watched Yuki from from F2. He had a great season. He he always was fighting on the top. I think he, he's very fast driver. When if you put him in in a better car, he would really perform greater than 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 the car allows him in this team. But yeah, I became a fan of Avatar in 2020 when. They had a great a great season in 2021. It was great for me that Yuki came to the team because I was following him since F2. I think he's really fast. And if you put him in a better car, he would 
outperform many of the of the drivers of the in the back marking in the back markers. He's he's really he's a really fast driver, not so very consistent. There's a lot of that too in F1. You need a you need to be a a consistent driver, not just fast. It, that doesn't matter a lot. The ones that make the difference is that is those that can combine combine those two aspects and and those are the ones who get to the top. For me, Juki is, is a great driver, but he still has a lot to 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 grow in F1, and maybe he's still too young too. But H is not it's not something of, of a problem here. We is it's more experience and, and maturity to for the sport, I guess. So yeah, it was a fun weekend for me watching Darren Rick almost getting points in the sprint in the sprint and Yuki earning the last point in the race, in the Sunday race. And how do you feel? I was going to ask you, David, how do you feel with Ricardo joining the team and uh, and DeVries no longer being a part of it? Um, I'm really not the one that, that judges driver like really, really fast. And I, I said it before, I think I think that Red Bull in general, in, in this case, true Alpha Tauri has a really trigger happy approach to to drivers. I don't think that Nick should have lost his seat, but in term in terms of performance, of course Daniel Rick was going to give a, give the team a lot more. And Nick wasn't wasn't adjusting to, maybe to the car. Nick wasn't going to improve a lot more maybe in the eyes of the team. So they were really quick to sack him. I don't, I don't really support that. I don't really that 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 should be the way with young drivers. I think, I think that that he could have, he could have uh, at least until half of the season to do that. But of course, having Danny is is great for PR. You know, and he's one of the most charismatic drivers in in all F1. And to put him in a car and test how he could how he could perform in 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 not such a good car, it's a great test for him right now. So he can get back he he can I'm sorry he can get back to grips with F1 and maybe finish his career in a better team. Who knows? Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where he ends up and how Alpha Tauri end up next year, who they're going to put in that seed. And if it's not Danny Rick, then where can he find a seed? Um, I guess, yeah, I guess um, uh, at least uh, Red Bull this way, because I, 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 I agree, agree with you that it is a little bit quick decision-making to sack Nick. But then again, it does give Danny Rick a little bit of extra time. Um, imagine he would just start the first race at Zandvoort, that being his first race back. He would still take time to get back into the car, get back to grips with, with Formula One. And, and now he's already had two races, so he can basically start the second half of the season fresh, and not really having to get into the rhythm because he already had two and a half races, if we count the sprint races, half a race. So, so 
so yeah, um, I think it's a good analysis, and it's very interesting to hear how you how you started watching Formula One with your granddad, and and how you uh, watched F1 as a little kid during the Schumacher era, and um, and and how it got back to you, and how you're um, so much into actually a completely different team now. Um, I guess the only the only similarity is that they're both from Italy, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's and and how um, how is F one? How popular is it around uh, Chile, where you're from? I I don't think it's very popular. Like it's a niche thing. Not many not many people watch it. I've seen a lot of in in the last time. I've seen I've seen a lot of shirts. A lot of Red Bull shirts, a lot of Mercedes uh, shirts and hats and all that. Uh, I think it's it's growing popular, but it still doesn't have the same same level of interest that that other sports, of course. But it's worth to mention that we have two really good drivers in the international um, concert or circuit. I, I don't know how to say it actually. Two really young and interesting drivers that don't don't get a lot of support because motorsport is not such so such a big thing here in Chile. And we have in the nineties we had a F1 driver actually. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I'm interested to hear about it. Yeah, he's the most successful driver in Chilean history. No, is no. his name is Eliseo Salazar. He is more known because of IndyCar and British Formula. He had a lot of British Formula races and mm. races win. And IndyCar, I don't think that he won. He actually won a race. He had podiums, but he competed in the 1982 season. He has a really iconic image where Nelson Piquet and him are throwing punches. You don't know okay. you no, but I'm 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 trying to visualize it. Ah, uh, yeah, that's on track. No, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah, they're fighting on track. Like still on track with because where they're fighting. Yeah, he was on a back marker team. That, I think yeah. it's it's the turbo era where the cars were really distant from from each other. Some cars used turbo and some other didn't didn't had turbo. And Nelson Piquet was yeah, about to yeah, lap yeah. him. Uh huh. And he didn't move, so they crashed. Nelson Piquet came out of the car, and and they were throwing punches. I I can't remember the track. What track is it, Anton? I know that you know. I think it's in Germany. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah, because I, I I remember it now, and I think it well, not that I I've seen it, but I've seen it from the old images, and I think it's yeah, it's it's Piquet who attacks him. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's I, I I hadn't really thought about it that you guys had an F1 driver, and um, and and you're just mentioning now that there's young drivers. So so who are who are they? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mention the names. Is Nicolas Pino is one of them, who drives in drove actually in the 24 hour with Le Mans. He got a podium nice. there with LMP3 cars. I don't know. I, I can remember actually what cars he was racing, but he got a podium there in this year's Le Mans. And we have another one that's his name, Benjaminites. His name is Benjaminites, and he runs for Ferrari in in the, uh, how is it called? 
the rain for <laughs> um, I can remember the name of the of the competition with the rain 24 six hours eight hour races um, I can remember the name of the of the category he wrote he he races for for Ferrari there um, well, it's, it's nice is in the Ferrari program then and mm -hmm. um and actually it, it talking about uh, uh popularity of formula one in chile i i do need to say that actually you guys in the forecast f1 competition you actually currently as a country because we're also counting points per country you do yeah. have more points than quite a couple of countries around you so you have more points than mexico you have more points than brazil so you're actually 20th currently in the in the country ranking. so it's not that bad after all yeah, yeah, no, not so bad. Argentina is is winning right now, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I think they'll be tough to beat. <laughs> yeah, they they are tough to beat, like in every sport. Right. Yeah, and they also have because they have a F three driver now, right? They have Colapinto in F three. Yeah, they, I, in they had uh, Carlos Reutemann. He's really important. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. For Ferrari, and they had another like in the nineties. Norberto, I don't, I don't remember his last name, but in the nineties there was another Argentinian F1 driver, and they had their Grand Prix up until '98. Yeah, of course. Or '99. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame that other than uh, than Brazil, you guys don't have any other races on on the calendar. I know there was talk about having a race in Colombia. I think they were talking about that last year or so, but in the end, um, yeah, it'd be it'd be nice to see if. Um, if we would shift to some more races in uh, in in your part of the world, but um, I guess the 24 calendar is already set, and um, I I don't think that at this point um, there's there's uh, really a lot of talk about having a, another South American race on the on the calendar, which is a shame if you ask me. Fortunately, no. I I guess it's it's really far away from that, and. And all the races are going to happen in the U.S. in a couple of years. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I don't think they're coming to South America. No, yeah. Well, I agree. I agree with you both. I I wish that it would be really nice to see at least one or a few more races in South America on the calendar. And and David, I'd also say that it's it's really nice to uh, to hear about you shed light on on drivers that are in your country that um, are doing well because. It's it's something that I definitely will pay attention to more now that you've mentioned it. So, yeah, they are they are worth to watch. I mean, anywhere or from, from even even more from when they come from a country that doesn't support motorsport a lot. It's it's very important to to keep an eye on them and and see if can if they can grow even a bigger fan base here in chile and of course in other parts of the world no i agree and in general i think it's nice to see diversity on the grid so i always um you know uh, i really like to see drivers from not the mainstream f1 countries, so to speak and and see drivers on the grid from countries like uh, you know what we have uh, a japanese driver on the grid we have a chinese one we have a mexican one i think those are uh, countries where it's definitely more tough to get to the highest level of motorsport even if those guys actually move to the well not yuki but let's say joe and, and perez they move to europe pretty early on in order to compete in motorsports but that's a big step for for these youngsters to take so 
Um, I, in general, I support that too, and it's fun to see. So I would really, it would be nice to see uh, another South American driver on the grid. That's been, uh, yeah, it's 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 been a while since uh, since we've seen uh, a South American rise to the top. Let's say. <laughs> Completely agree. And I think that we've been we've been missing some Brazilian drivers in the. In yeah, the last I was I was half referring to that too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, there is talk about uh, at some point maybe adding to to the grid and adding one or two more teams. If they do decide to do that, maybe that opens up some slots, some possibilities. Would love to see it. That would be nice. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. The, I mean, there's a lot of, of not only American or South American drivers that, that need to, that, I mean, that could get a seat. But there's a lot of talent in other places of the world, like in from other from other from really diverse places that could come to F1 or go, come close to to F1. I mean, now that F1 Academy is getting more support, even women could get the chance in a year, maybe a couple of years, to get one of those seats in the new teams, right? Yeah, it's a very good point that you bring up because uh, that's that's another element of the diversity that uh, we would love to see. And I I would love to see a female dra- uh, driver be able to be on the grid one day. So uh, hopefully with the introduction this year of the F1 Academy, and it looks like it's going to continue to evolve next year, they're adding uh, different teams liveries, which should be interesting. And um, my my hope is that there is more uh, resources going into spreading diversity, whether it is male or female, or uh, giving the opportunity for people from other places to be able to uh, not have to, like Anton said, necessarily have to travel to Europe, but have the have the resources at their disposal to to have an opportunity to compete and be able to try to elevate themselves into potentially a seat later in the future uh, on an F1 track. And um, it it would be, I, I really hope that uh, with the development of the F1 Academy, that it is something also that continues to grow and strengthen. And I, I think that with the backing, just to further to that, with the backing of Su- Susie Wolf, who um, personally i i look at as uh, as a as a true female inspiration in motorsport i i feel i i there's definitely some optimism there that it will continue to evolve and maybe one day hopefully soon we see that we see a female driver on the grid would be pretty cool yeah i think what's still lacking is um, actual broadcasting um you know i, I think the F1 Academy is a is a very nice initiative, and it's definitely very good to to hear that uh, it's going to get more support from the from the ten teams on the grid. But um, I think the step that's still missing is to have a um, yeah a good platform to broadcast it on, whether it be F1 TV or something else. But I think it needs that in order to take the next step to also uh, get more attention and to be regarded a little bit more um, seriously. So I would really. I would really like to see that too. Um, hopefully, we still get to hear some more news regarding that in the future. I agree with you. I I think that broadcasting it is is monumental because it's going to help 
bring more attention for people that uh, for people to see and hopefully uh, more money towards the development itself of the academy. I, if if we're unable to really see it, it's it, it makes it a lot more challenging. It limits them. And uh, I yeah, I agree with you. I, I hope that it's something there. And I also hope that there's more races for them uh, this year. There There isn't a lot. So I hope that by next year, they add more to the calendar. And yeah, let's hope that we can actually see those races. As you said, it. I mean, broadcasting would be the bigger part. And of course, giving them more races. And as a, as a separate category, maybe from from F1, not so much as F F F series was, you know, because uh, it really loses the focus when they're behind an, an F1 race, I guess. And making it in separate venues, like in different days than F1 races, it would, and, and also adding the, the broadcast fa factor, that would be a major step in the right direction for them. Absolutely. Right, so this week we have had 501 people joining the game, playing this sprint race weekend for Forecast F1, and we had a pretty high average score. Uh, we had an average score of 62 points, which of course being more points because of a sprint weekend, but um, actually in Azerbaijan we had only an average score of 52.9 and in Austria 59.2, so 62 is quite a lot. The average score during the sprint was 11.8 and 50.2 during the race. So just to touch first a little bit on the sprint results and the sprint podium. Uh, how many people do you think uh, predicted a podium with Verstappen, Piastri and Gasly on the podium? David, you start first. I don't think many people could have guessed that Gasly was going to finish on the podium. I mean, Verstappen was, of course, the one that everyone or most of the people could have predicted there. And due to the latest performance from Piastri, I guess a lot of people should have placed them there in P2. Maybe some predicted that he, got, he could have won the race, or the sprint race. So I want to hear some exact numbers. How many people do you think got the exact podium right? Out of 511 people, the 501, podium, yeah. <laughs> 501 people, yeah. I think that three got the podium right. Sam? Three. Okay, I'm going to go with just because of the fact that uh, Gasly is in there, I, I don't think anybody would have thought that he would have made it to the podium. Sam's already a little bit better trained with this with this game because yeah that's that's <laughs> right nobody, nobody had a podium of Verstappen Piastri Gasly. <laughs> but yeah, even with the motion of factor from Pierre, I I could have thought that at least three people would have guessed. But well, she's more trained than I in the in the game. Let's of course. let's dissect them a little bit more. Then, how many people do you think David had uh, Verstappen on P one in the sprint race out of five hundred and one people? Out of five hundred and one people, four hundred and ninety nine people <laughs> guess him <laughs> was going to win the sprint race. Sam, I know that I I I guess 
I guessed it. I, I thought he was going to win the spring race. Yeah, but I think you had somebody else uh, on P1 in the race, no? Wasn't it? Yeah, in the race, <laughs> I, I didn't thought he was going to win. Yeah. But yeah. Well, we will, get to, we will get to the race later. So, okay, f 499. Sam, what do you think? <laughs> um, I, I want to know who you picked for P1. But, um, okay, I will say 473. Okay, it was 435. So, actually, fewer people than, than both of you were, were guessing there. Um, so, how many people had Piastri on the second spot? Okay, I'm going. I, I think I think some people. I, I want to believe that that a few people did make that decide to put him there, but I don't think it was much. So I'm going to say four. Four people. That, that's that's really not a lot. <laughs> no. Um, I'm gonna guess, given the latest results, that 150 people put him in pitchu. It's good that we're doing a little bit of warm-up round, uh, David, so that later we're really going to score the actual points because, yeah, Sam, Sam's a little bit closer. It was only eight people. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I wonder if those eight people, uh, let's go back three races ago, would have put Piastri on the podium, or better yet, if anybody would have put Piastri on the podium. No, for sure not, for sure not. Mm -hmm. And then we had... We had Gasly on P3, so we already know that nobody had the podium right, but did anybody had Piastri, or sorry, did anybody had Gasly on P3? I'm going to say no. No one, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's right. Nobody had. Nobody had. So before we get to the race scores, what I did want to mention is that we actually had the highest lowest score of the game so far this season. So that means that the person who had the fewest amount of points um, usually has much fewer points. So the lowest score this weekend was 19 points, which is relatively speaking a very high number. Um, anyway, so let's go to the race and uh, let's see who our winners are for this week's Belgium Grand Prix. So on P1, we have Nivas Reddy from India, who scored 88.9 points, 16.6 during the sprint and 72.3 during the race. He had a correct podium and he scored some points for Hamilton, Norris, Russell and Alonso. On P2 is a good friend of mine, Musafer Yagisturk from Turkey, and he scored 87.9 points. He also had a correct podium and he had Norris in P7 and scored some points for Hamilton, Russell and Alonso. And then on P3 we had Saidun Kapoor from Pakistan with 87.1 points. Also a correct podium and some points for Norris, Hamilton and Russell. So from those three or from anybody this weekend, only the first two, so Nivas and Musafer make it to the top 20 high scores of the game worldwide on P17 and P19 respectively. So this is the second time that everybody in the top 20 scores above 80 points. Uh, the other race where that happened was Baku. That's the only two times so far in this game. So let's have a little bit of a look at our scores, the three of us. So first, like we were just saying, David, you had, uh, well, you did have uh, Verstappen correct in the sprint race on P1, but uh, you went for a Norris win, which unfortunately did not happen. So you did but have... he had a great recovery. Yeah. He did. Well, you did he have Pires in P2. 
actually. So yeah. uh, you got full points for that. You scored 40.8 points. And um, you scored 40 the last race. So that actually means you went from... You were initially on P906 this weekend because you started playing quite recently. And you yeah. moved up to P693. So yeah, in the beginning, there's a lot of places to gain. <laughs> because there's a lot of people that play only once. So actually you're, you're moving up and um, uh, I mean, it's already going from 40 points to 40.8 now. So, I mean, that's an upward trend. So that's very good. Um, Sam, <laughs> then we get to you. Okay. You had a podium of Verstappen, Hamilton, Norris. Mm -hmm. Clearly I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, so you, yeah, well, you scored 11.6 in the sprint and 40 and a half in the race. So that gets you a total points of 52.1. And okay. that means that you drop from P104, you drop 20 places. So you drop to P124. Okay, not not as bad as I thought, but it can that's okay. always be worse. Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll just do a little slight celebration here because I actually overtook you in the standings now. Um, oh boy. Yeah. So I scored 68.9 points. Um, I went with uh, Verstappen Perez Norris podium. So I got the first two right. And I also had uh, Russell correct in P6. So I moved up from P110 to P101. So yeah, uh, I guess you... Very you, nice. Yeah, I was I was quite happy with that too. So um, that's a good result. I mean, I when I saw just to say I saw your prediction of Verstappen Perez, and I went and I thought to myself, I went, ooh, I have a feeling, I have a feeling that this may have been the right decision after I had made my prediction. So once I saw the the final result, I had a feeling that you were going to do pretty well. So well, let's see how how long I can stay ahead of you uh, there, Sam. I I doubt it's going to be uh, it's going to be very long, but. Um... But uh, yeah, we'll we're gonna we're, we'll first have to wait uh, for the summer break. So at least I'm I'm on top of the summer break. Well, on top I'm on P101. So that's why I mentioned very slight celebration. It's also not something to be too proud of. But um, we have uh, a summer break to banter about it, and then and then regroup and come back. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully I'm sure that look. I I think that it's it's great that at least we're close. Like we're pretty close in terms of um most of the time in terms of our predictions and where we're at so it, it makes it definitely a lot more competitive especially between you and i considering <laughs> well we'll definitely banter about it people that can be proud of themselves let's 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 talk a little bit about them so uh, the p1 is the first person to cross the 700 point mark and uh, so Tobias Oli from France he scored 77.3 points so he was actually in p38 this weekend and he now has 714.4 points. So that means he actually extends his lead. I think it was 7.6 points that he was in front after after the previous race in Hungary. And he is now 20.8 points in the lead because the P2 actually drops to P3. That was uh, Philip Hoyek from Lebanon. He scored 63.8 points. Um, and is thereby overtook by Jesus Diaz from Uruguay because he scored 70.4. So actually that means that the P1 is, um, you know, he, he had a pretty big lead and it shrunk a little bit, but now he's, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's getting away from it again. So um, 
I call to all other players to <laughs> to, to please try and score some decent points because he's he's been on P1 since uh, since Azerbaijan, which was the fourth race of the season. So we've had the twelfth race now. It's it's been a while. Well, he he's obviously doing something right, isn't he? <laughs> he's making the right predictions. <laughs> definitely, definitely. He maybe has a crystal ball or something like that. I mean, how <laughs> how can it be from the fourth race from this season? He's been on top. Yeah, from Baku. Yeah, yeah, he scored 104 points there and then got in P1 and he never left the spot. Oh, yeah, I mean, he's amazing. It's it's worth to mention also that we, all all of us three had Norris at least on the podium. I thought he was going to win, but you had it on the podium. You and Sam had it on the podium, right? Yes. Yeah, both at P3. And and just just to feel better about my my position in in the table in the general table, 600 and something. I started. I I stopped hearing after 600. Oh, uh, I uh, <laughs> I got to know that in P10. So we both scored that point this week. Nice. That's very nice. Well, actually, yeah. In a bit, you're gonna be guessing how many people got that right. So you already you already gave Sam a head up that there's <laughs> that there's at least one person that got to know the right. But that's that's actually that's very nice that you scored that point. I I was going to say that we scored that point together. So I really feel part of that achievement from him. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we also had one at least one forecast player that I that I know of who was at the track this weekend who was actually working at the track and that was Eloise Lefin and she actually she's been if I'm not mistaken in the top 20 already three times this uh, this year so uh, she's doing a very good job both in the game as well as well working I saw a couple of pictures from her actually in the in the Ferrari garage so that that must have been extremely exciting um I guess a lot of other people wishing they were there this weekend must have been a great weekend especially being a sprint weekend there's there must have been a lot of work too but uh, lots of things to to see and um and with that I would like to move to to our prediction or sorry our quiz about the prediction game actually first up uh, just a couple of uh, things so um last time we looked at how many people had danny rick predicted in the top 10 and we had 138 people who had him in the top 10 of course last week we had 473 people playing the game so now there was a few more how many people do you think put daniel rick in the top 10 this weekend who goes first I'm going to stick to the 30s. Actually, no, I take that back. Take that back. Okay. I'm going to say 52. I'm, I think that people got Danny Rick um, just a few more than Sam, just because she, she, you can tell that she knows how to play the game. I'm going to say 67 people got Danny Rick in the top 10. There was actually 122 people who had him wow. in the top 10, so it was actually okay. quite a lot. A lot more, yeah. Yeah. Everybody um, hope on the Richardo train this week. Yeah, I'm sure that, uh, well, actually, Carmen, uh, she had him on, the, she even moved him up a place because she had him on P10 last weekend, and now she put, a, she put him on P9. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, people were actually, but, you know, he had a good race. He didn't have a bad race last week in Hungary. He just, he was a bit unfortunate. But, uh, but yeah, still no points for, for Daniel, not in the sprint, not in the race. This was actually, I was just talking about 
people putting him in the top 10 in the race. So I wasn't even counting uh, the sprint. That's separate. So then I would also like to ask you, how many people do you think had a correct podium predicted with Verstappen, Perez, Leclerc? I'm going to ask this one first to you, David. Who had the podium correctly? Verstappen, Perez, Leclerc. I'm going to guess 320 people. Sam? That's a pretty good guess. Um, I'm going to go just a little bit lower and say 290. Well, I'll be the judge of whether it's a good guess or not. <laughs> it's only eight people. No. <laughs> I'm yeah. actually really surprised. By I guess, that. I guess that, yeah, but I guess the 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 trust in Ferrari has um, flown away a little bit over the past weekend. Well, so I guess just <laughs> not a lot of people that, yeah, that Empires, but um, yeah, but okay, all right, that was that was it for the warm up round. We're now actually going to score points. So um, I'm going to ask you one by one, and Sam can kick it off. So I'm going to ask you. Each position, each finishing position, how many people had that place predicted correctly in the game out of 501 players? And then each time uh, one of you gets closer to it, I'll score a point. So we're going to kick it off with Verstappen. And um, Sam, you can tell me how many people had Verstappen on P1. I'm clearly going to say a high number. So let's go 485. Okay. Can I go now? Yes. 473 people. Ooh, that's really, really a very good guess because oh. it was 474 people. So, oh. so the warm-up round paid wow. off. So that yeah. point is going to go to David. Um, nice job. Yeah. That's a really yeah. good guess. Yeah. Tobias gave you the crystal ball <laughs> to use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just got me. He just got me. <laughs> Okay, well, let's see if you can also get so close to the amount of people that had Perez in P2. Sam goes first? You go first this time. So we switch it back and forth. So, oh, all right. So Sam went oh, I'm first. Sorry. Okay, okay. And now you go. No. Um, Perez in P2, 257. 257. Okay, got it. I'm going to go lower just because of the podium result uh, for the amount of people that picked the right podium. I'm going to say 120. That means that David is also getting this point because it was 218 people. So you're only 39 away from it. So, oh. uh, so yeah, that point goes to David again. Yeah, I'm getting better. Yeah, Very definitely. Cool. definitely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we go to Leclerc. <laughs> Uh, Leclerc finished on P3, and Sam, you can you can guess this one first. Okay, I'm going to go with 12. And then I'm going to go with 27. Sam, Dave is getting away from you there because it was 23 people, so he was only four away, <laughs> you were 11 away. This is uh, another point for, for David, David, yeah. But that's really good. Like, every single guess that you've had is... You're very close. Like really so close. It's actually quite impressive. Mm -hmm. And I'm just guessing. I don't have the crystal ball. No. <laughs> well, you're guessing really well, so that's awesome. Well, then guess Hamilton on P4. Now I go first. Um, P4 Hamilton. I'm gonna go with 67. People got Hamilton on P4. That's a good estimation. Um. I'm going to go just a little higher. I'm going to say 81. 
that means this point is going to Sam because it was quite a high number. It was 134 people. That's okay. a lot more. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly double of your guess. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's actually quite a lot of people with Hamilton there. Let's see how many people had Alonso on uh, on P5, Sam. Okay, I'm going to stick to the hundreds, and I am going to say 105. For Alonso in P5, 209. Well, I I guess that confidence in Aston Martin has not been that high for this race weekend because there was only <laughs> 24 people that had Alonso in P5. So yeah, that that means that Sam's closer with 105. We were both off, even with the upgrade. I thought that people was gonna was gonna guess better. Where for did them. you put Alonso? I had Alonso. I had Alonso not even in the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> and I had him on P nine. Sam, where did you have him? Dear, I I can't remember, but I know it was the the bottom five of the. So I'm I think it was maybe P seven. Where did I have him, Anton? I shall check that for you now. And you had him <laughs> on. You had him on P nine as well, just as I had. Cool. Yeah. Okay. And and you didn't have him on your sprint prediction, so neither did I actually. So there we see both of us, all of us, the three of us, had him far lower than p5 or not even in the top 10 at all so yeah i guess that's along the lines of the thoughts of many playing the game um let's see then if a few more people had russell on p6 or whether they did not this one's for david first russell p6 i'm gonna go with just 59 people got russell in p6 sam a little higher in with my strategy, just because so many people are picking McLaren now above. Yeah. So I think that's going to drop Russell in the predictions. And I'm going to say 101. That's pretty close, actually. It's 108. So that's, a, that's only seven away from the right number. So that point's going to you again. And we're at 3-3. Three, three. So David took the first three points, but you took the second three points. So we're even. Coming back, I'm like Norris and Spa. I just, I just put on the softs. <laughs> oh, talking about Norris, we go to P7 Norris. I guess it's my go. Uh, I'm guessing it, it is. Um, okay, I'm going to say. Oh, now the pressure's on. I wish I didn't know I was tied. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to say 92. 92. That. Mm... We we all got him on the podium, so one hundred and eight. Oh Sam, when you said nine, I thought I was all, almost going to cheer because it was nine people, not ninety two. <laughs> but no. that, that does mean that you take the wow. fourth po your fourth point, and it's four three. Yeah, I guess like David, like you're saying, like a lot of people had Norris very high up, so you know, not a lot of people had him there on P seven. I I think. I saw a lot of orange McLarens around P3, P4, P5. So uh, I think um, I think very little people, well, apparently only nine had him on P7. I had him winning. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah. 
I wonder where you're going to put him for Zandvoort. But uh, we can talk a little bit about the, the, the next race in a bit. Let's let's <laughs> go to Ocon, who finished on P8. So also taking a couple of points for Alpine. How many people had in there? David, you go first. Um, not many people, I'm going to guess, because how Alpine is, had been looking recently. So 53 people. Okay, that's a pretty good guess. I was going to stick to the 50s as well, but I'm going to go just a little bit of... Uh, I don't know if I should go above or below. I'll go above. I'll say 60. Bad decision-making because it was only 17 people. So that point goes to David. We're 4-4 four, <laughs> four again. We're tied. Oh. That means we go to our P9 and... Even though Sam and I had the other Aston Martin there, it was actually Stroll who finished on P9. So how many people picked a Stroll P9, Sam? Okay, I'm going, judging by the fact that a lot of these predictions in the bottom are uh, are coming out with low numbers, I'm going to stick to a low number again, or I guess now. And I'm going to say 29. That's a great number. I'm going to say... 15. Oh, that actually means that uh, David's just a little bit closer because it was 21 people. So that means David's only six away and Sam is eight away. So that point goes to David and it's five against four. Good. We go to Tsunoda and we already know that at least one person had that correctly predicted. So uh, the question is how many more people have that? And uh, David, you go first. Yeah, I, I had even 10. So just me and <laughs> I guess like five more people. I'm going to go with six. I'm going to go with 13. Well, David, you were six away from the previous one. You're again six away from this one because it was 12. So that means actually that Sam got closer. She was only one away. So that means that it's actually going to go down to the wire and it's going to be the fastest lap that decides who's winning this because you're five against five at this point. Okay, I like this. I like the fact that we've been battling back and forth. Yeah, it makes it really, really, really exciting. So you're what, you're competitive, yeah. Not so much, but seeing that I can win, I become more competitive, of course. <laughs> exactly. Well, so it was uh, Hamilton who actually took away the fastest lap from uh, Verstappen. So the question is. Did anybody or how many people did put Hamilton on fastest lap? And it's actually Sam that can go first because you kicked it off, so it's your turn. Okay. Ah, pressure. I am going to say... I'm going to say... Ah, I don't know. Okay. I'm just going to go with a number that is in my head. 23. I'm going to go with... Oh, that's that's a really great number. I'm gonna go with ten. Ten people had him in the fastest lap. David, congratulations! You're winning it. <laughs> yeah. How many people got him in the fast fastest lap? It was only it was only seven people. Actually, I know it's Sana actually had him on uh, on on fastest lap. So yeah, seven people had Hamilton there, and um, and you guessed ten. So that's only three away. Um, so Sam did a good job. Hanging on until the very end, but um, so. yeah, you, you, you <laughs> I'm so sorry to say you lost again. <laughs> For someone who's Listen, seen... I, I thought you were going to say, 
<laughs> I thought he was going to say better luck next time. And I mean, it's true. In I, I get to do this every single uh, race weekend. So um, I, I definitely get to have, a, I guess, another shot at it. But uh, congratulations, David. That was a, that was a well-fought battle. Yeah, I mean, for someone who looks very well trained to play this game, and yeah, it was a very good battle. I I won against the best, so I don't know. Uh, that is very good. I got a lot of to feel, to feel proud it, about. It, it was definitely impressive result, uh, <laughs> but I'm I'm trying I'm trying to get better in my predictions. <laughs> we'll see. So talking a little bit about predictions, what uh, what do you guys feel about the long wait towards uh, the next race? Uh, we're going to have a summer break on our hands, so it's going to be four weeks until we get back to Formula One racing. And um, it's going to be a bit of a break for the teams as well. So I guess there's not going to be a lot of um, work they'll be able to to get done in the in the factories. But uh, yeah, what are, what, are you, what are you guys' thoughts looking forward to the race in the Netherlands? David, why don't you kick it off? Thanks. Um, it, it's gonna be a long ways a lot. I'm gonna be watching a lot of, but yeah, I mean it's a great time because there's a lot of speculation in between this this um, this break that that the teams have. It's great also because it's exciting, at least for for most of us, to to see who can finish behind Red Bull in the second part of the season. I, I'm i going to go and going to guess that they they won't lose a bit. They will stay on top of the of the grid during the second half, but it's going to be exciting to try and guess who, who develops better over the summer, who, who brings better upgrades in the next races. And we kick it off in Sandboard in after the break, so that's a that's an awesome racing track in the middle of, of of racing itself. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a long wait for me. I think it's going to be an interesting summer break for a few teams, in particular when it comes to uh, maybe taking advantage of the break to maybe make some some critical decisions. Uh, one of those teams being Alpine clearly. Uh, so I think we're going to hope, I, I would imagine that we're going to hear a few things uh, over the, this break, uh, possible decisions, maybe uh, the announcement of a permanent team principal role, who knows. Maybe we see also some uh, development with Ferrari. It would be nice to see them come back after the summer break in a, in a stronger position than where they've left it. And I would say also the same for Aston Martin, that maybe the break is a good thing because they started off so strong and they've, the last couple of races have lost a little bit of their footing, especially after we've seen McLaren and Mercedes capitalize a little bit more on upgrades. So it'll be interesting to see them come back and see where they start. And then, like you said, uh, David, when it comes to uh, Ricardo, he has uh, he has a nice break to uh, adjust and and be able to to put himself on the right foot forward going going into the start of the rest of the season. I think that um, he has a lot more potential. We've seen a lot more potential out of him, possibility out of him in the last two races, and uh, 
going back to just qualifying again this this race weekend if he hadn't had exceeded the track limits i mean we could have been having an entirely different conversation in terms of his placement and so with that being said i think that uh touching back on what anton had said earlier about the decision and the timing to transfer ricardo it gives him the opportunity to really get acclimated i think so I think there's a there's quite a few interesting uh, maybe shakeups that we'll see over the summer break. Maybe we won't, but either way, you're right. Uh, the Dutch Grand Prix is always an exciting race to see, and I look forward to it. Anton, what are your thoughts? Well, it's going to be interesting if we hear some news also regarding, for example, the seats next year. For example, uh, there's some rumors that Haas has. Uh, re-signed Hulkenberg for the next year. Are they going to do the same with Magnussen or are they going to wait until very late in the season again to announce that? Um, is there a pressure on Sargent's seat, yes or no? Or is Williams going to be a little bit more patient with their with their second driver? Um, I think it's that time of the year where we get to talk about these things also for lack of there being any race but um yeah that's going to be it's going to be interesting to um to yeah to see if there's anything developing on that end and other than that um uh, like both of you said it's going to be interesting um to uh, to look at Zandvoort and have a look at uh, which team's going to be the second team because that's one of the things that's uh, keeping me on the edge of my seat as well this season is that you know one race it seems to be ferrari that's that's Definitely the second team. I think Leclerc had a very good race. Sainz might have had two this 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 weekend, and then other weekends. Uh, Mercedes is coming up sharp, and then of course we had Aston Martin at the beginning of the season, and then Silverstone and Hungary were very good weekends for uh, for McLaren. So, yeah, anything can happen, and and that's a lot of fun, and that makes it also very tough to to predict. And um, well, I I guess. One of the things that uh, we have a very high chance of seeing at Sanford is uh, Verstappen actually um, equaling the record of Vettel and getting his ninth win because he's at eight now. And um, uh, I would definitely hope to see some shake-up um, and, and see a completely different podium for once. But um, yeah, I guess we also need to accept that. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that's another thing that I hear a lot uh, going around that um, that it's... Uh, a boring season in that respect uh, because of there being only basically two drivers that are winning which I understand from one side but I do need to say that in the end we're watching a sport and and the aim of each team and each driver is to win it so uh, nobody's out there to entertain us basically it is very entertaining of course that's why we all enjoy the sport but in the end they're all out there to win it so um, yeah boring is a is, is for me just not the right reflection. It's just, um, uh, and, and, and I guess what really we need to focus on is, is on that second team and, and which is going to be the first team that really actually gets close to Red Bull. And uh, it might not be taking wins all of a sudden straight away, but even being the second team on consecutive weekends, that's something we haven't really seen of any team. I think maybe Aston Martin in the beginning, but that was also relatively short-lived. I mean, they're, you know, Alonso taking a P5 this weekend was good, but they don't really seem to be the second team anymore at all. So, yeah, that for me is, is interesting enough as it is, and that keeps me on the edge of my seat. And um, uh, I also think that because of Red Bull winning everything, every, every race, you know, the one race we're going to see where they don't win it, we're all going to be 
shouting on top of our lungs because of that and and we're going to be extra extra excited for it and um yeah let let's just hope <laughs> we still get to see it this season because uh, that's that's i guess one of the questions i have is uh, are they going to win all of the races because the, the the car also seems to be extremely reliable which was something that at least last season at least the beginning of the uh, of the season was a question mark with Red Bull, but that's that's not really a question mark anymore uh, either. So yeah, um, well, that's going to be something for the second part of the season. I, I think that was very well said, and I'm glad that you brought it up about um, the conversation between uh, looking at whether races have become boring uh, because of the fact that Red Bull or Max is winning consistently. And I think also that when it comes to these races it it yes you see a consistency in in the fact that he is at the top of the podium and yes the car is fast but sometimes i think that also overshadows really his true skill and and what he is accomplishing on the track because there are definitely moments that very very important skilled moments that he is also capitalizing upon and uh sometimes I think that we don't necessarily pay attention to that because we're just fixated on the fact that he's won another race. So I think that uh, maybe for people, consistency uh, is is boring. But to me, I also think that it attributes to the skill and the strength of the team this year and just how much they got it right when it comes to the engineering. But further to that, uh, just the pure sheer dominating force of max and uh the caliber and skill that he carries this year it's uh it's it's quite incredible to watch and and i agree with you i think that it also adds an element of excitement if somebody does uh take that podium away from him during a race weekend you're just that much more excited to see it and uh and it also there's so much dynamic energy going on between the battle for the remainder of the podium that to me, I, I, I'm on the same page as you. I think that that's the, that is something that is really exciting to see that we haven't seen in a very long time. So many teams being able to be in that category to fight for a podium. And also for the engineering element of it, when it comes to the upgrades, you know, depending on what team is bringing what upgrade, we've seen how much of an advantage it, it offers or, or in some cases a disadvantage. And so, yeah, it's going to be interesting going into next, into the, into the last, well, I guess the second part of the season. Well, of course, I agree with, with what you were saying. We, I don't think that it makes it boring when in a sport so difficult as the one that we're watching here, the one that F1, that, um, needs to a, a driver i'm sorry and the team needs to perform at such a high level that there's a lot of pressure and it it i guess it's not easy to stay at top at the red bull level and at the max level so that's admirable too i i agree i don't see it as uh, is it boring but it makes it more interesting and admirable to know that there is a team in a specific driver that is outperforming everybody else by a country mile. I mean, it's that it's amazing the level of, of dominance that they that they are getting because it's not unprecedented, but 
it it really it really needs to everyone there in the in in Red Bull needs to stay on top of themselves. So so for me it's it's not boring. Well, with that, I guess we conclude the episode. As Sam already said in the beginning, don't forget to follow us. Don't forget to rate us. And we hope that you tune in to us also after the race in Zandvoort. We're going to record another episode of this podcast. And uh, don't forget to make your predictions. Don't forget to score your points. And uh, we see each other in a couple of weeks. I think everyone needs to keep playing the game. I mean, yeah, I... I, it just made it more exciting for me because I just won. I, I just beat Sam. So so everyone just keep playing the game. It's, it's exciting and, and all the, the the conversation that builds around it in the Discord server, it's, it's really exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't forget to play the game. And in, for those of you that are on the fence and haven't joined or maybe played at one point in time and if and and not anymore you can always rejoin and be a part of it and uh definitely be able to compete all right see you guys in a couple of weeks thank you guys for having me it was an amazing experience thank you for coming on yes thank you it was it was awesome to have you on and it was a lot of fun to to battle you in the in the points i don't i, I normally do pretty bad but i mean i think I think with the extra Adam, um, element of competitiveness, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs>